from the Daily Northwestern, this is The Weekly. I'm Shane McKeon. We just ended week three of fall quarter. Week three already. And this week we've got three stories on the show you may have missed this past week. First up, uh, on last week's show you may have heard a little bit about the Black Student Experience Task Force Report. It's 150 pages. It's a landmark report. And it basically catalogs the ways many black students feel uncomfortable or unwelcome at Northwestern. One of the report's recommendations is that the university hire more black faculty members. This past week, our web editor, Mariana Alfaro, spoke to some professors about this issue, and her own Juliet Johnson sat down with Mariana. Hi, Mariana. Thanks for sitting with us. Could you give us just a little background about your story? Yeah, so this is the second or third story I read about the Black Students Experience Report, which came out a few weeks ago, which talks about the experience of black students at Northwestern. And the focus of this story specifically is on one of the first recommendations that came out of the report that says that Northwestern should hire more faculty of color, more staff, more professors that identify as African-American because students feel like there's not enough representation of people who look like them on their faculty or on the people who are teaching them. The report actually included some pretty shocking statistics. Apparently somewhere around 3.5% of professors here at Northwestern identify as African American. And one of these professors that you interviewed, Russ Joseph, said that not having a lot of black faculty at Northwestern really affects him and his students. Could you talk a little bit about what he said about this? Yeah, so I talked to Professor Joseph, and he told me that when he was in college, he was an undergraduate at Carnegie Mellon, and he was a grad student at Princeton. He didn't see the representation he needed in his professors. So to him, being a student, that was very difficult to go on into the STEM field, which is probably one of the hardest fields to go into out there in the world, and not see someone who looked like him or someone who had made it through. And he said that just made it really hard for him as a student. And now that he's a professor and a faculty member and a research member, he said not seeing colleagues that look like him can still be very underwhelming and very disconcerting for him. So another professor that you interviewed, Ava Greenwell, actually said that she was saddened by how September's report echoes a similar report that was done by the university in 1968. So something that she talked about was the fact that the university does need to hire more black professors and also just other professors of color in general. What were her sentiments? So Professor Greenwell was telling me that about the 1968 report, which came out when the Black House was founded, From what she told me, there were 14 recommendations in that report, and I need to go back and look for it. But she said that the recommendations were pretty similar to what we have now, where students were saying there's not enough representation in our classrooms, there's not enough spaces for us, there's not enough mentors that look like us or black professors that we can talk to and feel comfortable talking to. And then she also didn't say it was limited to black students and black professors. Specifically, she said that Northwestern is also very not Hispanic and that our students have come up to her and said, we need more Hispanics in the classroom. We need more Hispanics in the newsrooms in Medill. After having interviewed these professors for your article, did any of them discuss what role they see themselves playing in trying to sort of put these recommendations into play? So what they said was that maybe not just them, but like, Having the, the search committees that hire professors, they all said they should be more diverse because you can't hire professors of color if you don't have people of color looking for them, you know? One of the things that most shocked me, I think, or like I, I took more personally from this is that a lot of the professors, well, all three of them told me that they had have some po- at some point service mentors to students who really 
go to them because they don't see anyone else who looks like them. And the faculty and Professor Deborah Thompson, who is in the African American Studies Department, told me that in her previous institution, she would advise students in STEM fields, she would advise students in other science, math, all that kind of stuff, even though she was a liberal arts professor because they didn't see anyone who looked like them in their own fields. And here, Professor Greenwell was telling me that at times, like, she mentors a lot of black students because there's really not, not much for them else to go find another mentor. And I think that is the most important thing if you're going to take something from this article is that think about who your mentors are in Northwestern. And if you're a person of color, you will want to look for someone who has a similar background or similar experience to you just because you feel more comfortable not having to explain yourself to them. Divestment. It's an issue that's come up again and again on this campus over the past two years. Student activists pushing the board of trustees to open up its investments to scrutiny and to divest from any number of things. Coal, private prisons, corporations that one group say help Israel oppress Palestinians. Then last year, the university announced it would sit down with these three main divestment groups and draft a socially responsible investment committee charter. But now some student activists are concerned with the most recent draft. They say the university ignored some of the changes the two sides discussed at their last meeting. The Daily's Fathma Rahman has been covering this story, and she sat down with our own Clara Fahey to talk about it. So, Fathma, the issue of divestment has had a long and complicated history on many college campuses. I was wondering if you could give us a brief summary of a few of the things that had happened last spring that led to the concerns of the divestment leaders earlier this week with the committee. Yeah, so as of last year, we had three divestment groups on campus. We had Fossil Free NU, NU Divest, and Unshackle NU. So those three groups all were pushing for their own agendas that happened to coincide a little bit in that they were just concerned about where our investments were going at Northwestern. So they joined together around mid-spring quarter, and after that, they worked together to get a socially responsible investment committee started at Northwestern that would work to advise the Board of trustees who make all the decisions in terms of investments. Yeah, so there's a lot of different language that you use in your article and things like that. So what exactly is divestment and what does it mean to have a socially responsible investment committee? Our endowment is made up of money that the university is investing in different groups to make profit. Divesting means that we would take money away from the groups that they're currently investing in to put into other groups, basically. The reason for that is that there are some organizations out there that, you know, support different causes that come into, like, social and moral conflicts, and students want us to be making investments that reflect the values of this university as well. So... What is the impact of having a committee that is made up of students and faculty and staff? I think it's more reflective of the university and the people that are here. You know, faculty will think one thing, but students being of a younger generation will think another thing about, you know, the values. And I think it's a really great way of keeping our community together. But at the same time, it does cause a lot of problems, particularly in terms of what we believe and what we want to fight for in terms of what our investments reflect. So what do you think is the goal of this socially responsible investment committee? The goal of the socially responsible investment committee is to make sure that our money is being 
being invested in groups that very much reflect strong ethical values and that, you know, for particularly speaking to the groups that we have on campus, they don't want to be investing in groups that are bad for the environment and they don't want to be investing in groups that are supporting private prison industrial complexes or, and then in case of NU Divest, that are supporting Israel. So those are the highlights of what they want. Obviously, it is a very hard thing to do considering how much money this school has. We have one of the biggest endowments in the country. So one of the main things that was kept in the charter that a lot of divestment leaders take issue with is Morton Shapiro has to approve all voting members of the committee. How does keeping this in the charter impact the effectiveness of it in the eyes of the divestment leaders? So I would say that divestment leaders are more concerned about the long-term impacts of this charter. Say they don't have a problem with the decisions that President Shapiro would make. They might have a problem in the future or future students would have a problem with another president who comes after this who may not be as supportive of the cause, may not be as invested in creating this committee, which is why they're concerned about having something like this in there where the president has to approve because that could backfire in the future. So explain who Chief Investment Officer Will McLean is and why he has such a large impact on the creation and implementation of this charter. Will McLean is the vice president and CIO of Northwestern. He's in charge of all the investments. He is also a connection between the university and the board of trustees, which is why students are going to him. I'm working with him on this. He is part of the committee that is working to create this charter as well, so he has a very large voice in this. And as part of the components of the charter that students had a problem with was actually that only McLean can address the board of trustees. Talk about that a little bit. Why is, you know, time and only McLean being able to address the board of trustees and the committee maybe only being able to address the board of trustees once a year such a big issue? Yeah, so So McLean being the only person who can talk to the board of trustees is one thing, but in the charter it says that he has the power to say that if he doesn't like the resolution that the committee comes up with, he does not have to show it to the board of trustees, and that limits the power of this committee and makes them a little bit weak in the eyes of the divestment leaders. They feel that they're losing control over the situation if at the end of the day they're trying to persuade McLean and then the board of trustees. So that's their problem with that. Their problem with meeting once a year is that students at Northwestern are only here for four or five years. If a student is on the committee as a senior and they can only meet with them once, they're not involved in this process the next year around. And that's why they were surprised because they had thought that it was once a quarter, which would mean that they had three opportunities to work with the board of trustees, but that's not the case currently. So that is why divest leaders are a little concerned about that. Yeah. So you've talked to the allowed divestment leaders. Give us a little bit of a sense of how they're feeling right now after proposing this charter. Uh, divestment leaders are frustrated. They're concerned and a little disappointed. A lot of them would say that they expected this to be a compromise and they don't feel that that's what's happening. They feel that the university is saying things and they're all talk and they're not following through and that's what's coming up at every meeting when they get back to the charter and nothing has changed. It's hard to find fast food that's also healthy, especially with BK right there. But one Northwestern alum is trying to change that. Noah Bleicher is a co-owner of Vietnam Nam. He's a Kellogg grad. And he sat down with our own Nicole Fowler to talk about the new restaurant. Noah Bleicher has a very specific grocery list. Lemongrass, garlic, shallots, sesame with seeds and, and oils, honey, some obviously sugar and salt, ground black pepper. 
It's 9 o'clock on a Monday morning, and Bliker and his business partner have been preparing these fresh ingredients for nearly two hours. The 34-year-old is the founder of Vietnam Nam, a food delivery service he started while attending Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. The problem that I saw as a student was that there really wasn't any good healthy food that also had flavor. The goal of Vietnam Nam was to make fast food healthy. Vietnam Nam will be opening its first storefront in Evanston later this fall. The kitchen redefines soups, salads, wraps, and sandwiches using the flavors Bliker loved while traveling in Vietnam after college. We've always been Vietnamese inspired. You know, I'm a Jewish kid from Texas, right? I can't claim authenticity in Vietnamese food, but we're just trying to introduce some new flavors and some cuisines with that inspiration that we took from our travels. What's genuine about Bliker is his passion for food. He has no formal culinary training, but he says his experience waiting tables, managing food operations, and traveling have provided him with the tolerance, patience, and empathy to take the risk of starting a business. My first you know, real job was as a host at a restaurant called Taffy's in North Dallas. And I do remember like, literally the moment when I had my very first experience as a waiter, and it was in between hours, between lunch and dinner, and one of the friendly early 20-year-old waiters you know, knew that I wanted to be a waiter, and he said, hey, here's a single guy you know, having a cup of soup and a sandwich sort of thing. Um, you know, why don't you go take this one? You, you, you take the lead. He sort of guided me, sort of gave me some, some pointers, but he let me you know, take the reins on that, on that service experience. And you know, I'm sure I messed up a ton of things, but at the end of the day, it wasn't that complicated. And, and the guy said, a dollar tip. And I took the dollar and I gave it to the server and I said, hey, this is your table. And he said, no, 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 that was your table. You keep that. And you know, this is sort of corny, but I, I still have that dollar. wake up with the roosters. We get in around anywhere between 6.30 and 7.30 every day. These units are going out to Cafe Kellogg, which is the cafeteria over in the business school. And they also become um, available in the Starbucks refrigerator in the business school. And then we're also preparing a catering order for later today. That's Bliker's partner, Alan Moy. He's slicing fresh cilantro and basil leaves. Next to him, Bliker is expertly finishing fresh summer rolls, which are rice wrappers filled with lettuce, carrots, and zucchini. The scent around the workspace is raw and herbal. According to Moy, Bliker has set a collaborative tone since beginning his business in 2015. He's firsthand seen the team grow, and I've seen that with him you know, for almost the majority of the time that Nam Nam's been around. And uh, we spend so much time every day talking about how do we train, how do we develop, how do we put someone in the best position possible to succeed. From rice wrapper research to taste-focused groups, Bliker has taken a data-driven approach to appetite. He's a foodie meets businessman, a model he says is sustainable for modern restaurant owners. According to him, today's chefs don't hide behind kitchen walls. Rather, food preparation is transparent so that patrons identify with the home-cooked experience. There are going to be moments of self-doubt. It's scary, but it's also exciting. If I'm over at the business school and I just see someone totally random holding one of our salads, it's a moment where I say, wow, people must really like what we're doing. To Bliker, establishing his storefront on Church Street comes before realizing his dreams of leading an urban youth farm or teaching cooking classes. 
He says he wants to clearly define his kitchen at the local level and then expand. Um, you know, all this impact that we talk about making, all this community development that we want to do, um, cannot happen if we don't have a profitable business. But one of the biggest takeaways I, from a uh, business school class professor made a very clear lesson one day that was, these are all grand, wonderful ideas. You want to go out and change the world, but build a business model first. Make sure that the business is going to be profitable because without profit, without sustainability of your business, what impact can you really have? You can be a, a, a flash in the pan or you can build a bonfire. That's all for the weekly. Our show is a production of the Daily Northwestern, Northwestern and Evanston's only daily news source since 1881. Thank you to our audio editor, Corey Mueller. Thank you to Rachel Silverstein, Juliet Johnson, Claire Fahey, and Nicole Fowler of the Daily Audio team and Alex Letterman of WNUR News. Want to join The Daily or want to help us make this show? Head on over to dailynorthwestern.com and click the Join Us button. I'm Shane McKeon. Thank you for listening.